Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule is the podcast where I ask people to tell me the five things they put in a time capsule from their life. They can pick anything they like, but they must choose four things that they cherish or would like to have again or keep safe, and one thing that they'd like to put in a time capsule so they can forget it, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the stand-up comedian Ria Lena. Ria is a comedian, actress and writer, known for her appearances on BBC's Live at the Apollo, Have I Got News For You, The Now Show and Mock the Week. And in November, she was named as one of the evening standards hottest comedians you should be watching now. Throughout her stand-up career, Ria has taken five shows to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, with her work tackling topics such as autism, topical news and racial identity. Her career stretches from stage and screen to radio and the occasional ukulele, all in a unique style described by the Scotsman as fearless, provocative and very funny. Good description. She's so daring that she's become a regular member of the Comedy Store Players. Rhea is the only Filipina comedian in British stand-up and has a BSc in experimental pathology, an MSc in forensic science and a PhD in virology under her belt. So it's not only Rhea's comedy that's highly intelligent. A regular pundit on Sky News, BBC News, Times Radio and Talk Radio, Rhea is in demand for both her scientific insight, confident delivery and biting wit. Rhea is also a prolific writer and has written and presented her own Channel 4 documentary that revealed the truth behind the myths that surround East Asian women in Britain. This autumn, she will be embarking on her first solo tour of Britain, Rhea Awakening. So check out her website and book your tickets now. First, though, let's discover the five things that Rhea would choose to have in a time capsule from her life. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rhea. Good morning. Hello, Ria. How are you? 
I'm good. I'm up. Well, me too, only just. I woke up this morning. I'd have that little period where I go on to Zoom and I like to go on a little bit early just in case people, you know, might come on early and I don't want to sit and wait. And they try to stare at myself on the screen, thinking, oh my God, I've got my mother's eyes. Aww. Well, oh. sort of, but my mother's eyes were so small you could never really see them and mine are sort of slowly disappearing. You know what? My mom's Asian. I same thing. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, hers are also, she has single lids. Mm. Um, in fact, I don't think I can look at my face or my sister's face and see either of my parents. Really? Yeah, we're mixed race, so I don't think we look like either of them. I can definitely see my mother in me. Not so much as my father, strangely. I can't see him at all. He didn't different. have a beard? <laughs> he didn't have a never had a beard, okay. my dad. No. No. <laughs> no, okay. My dad has a mustache, so again. Yeah. My sister and I, we tried, but we just couldn't. <laughs> Give it time. Yeah, right. No, I don't. Well, you see, that's again, Asian. With Asians, I don't know if that's going to. Oh, no, that's true. Some women, you're right. They get hairier, but we'll see. My mother had a very easy menopause. Either she had an easy menopause or we've been suffering from it since we were kids. Either way, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's been no change. Yes. And so, like, fingers crossed. And yeah. she didn't do HRT or anything, but these days... Oh. Women are doing HRT for the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Like it isn't just a couple of years. They just go on it. I think Prue Leith has been on estrogen since she's been, you know, she takes it every day. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's the advice now. To begin with, it was always, there was a lot of fuss, wasn't there, about taking that estrogen as if it was going to cause all sorts of problems. But actually all the research now shows that that's not the case at all. Mm, just do it. I know, but it's still being opined upon by men. <laughs> yeah. Male doctors, if you're a male doctor or you're an endocrinologist, by all means, weigh in. But when you're a politician, like, weigh out. Well, not even that. Some doctors, I think. My wife's 63 and she's still perimenopausal. Did you say she's 63? Yep. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely incredible. It's amazing. But the poor woman, I mean, no woman should still have to have a period. No, I know. I know. Does she get the brain fog? I think that's one of the worst things is the brain fog. She has no idea what temperature is in the world. Right. She's generating her own body temperature. Right. Her own furnace. Yeah. I think last year I went through a little dip into it. And I think I've dipped out again, but oh, I definitely right. a couple of times last year, I woke up and I had sweated so much at night that there was an outline of me in the bed. Yeah. Like it's just going, this is incredible. Like, where does this come from? <laughs> and so it must've been perimenopause, but now it's calmed down again, oh, you know, well, and I had good. a couple, you know, a couple of times to just go, I had, to, <laughs> I took a pregnancy test last year because I went, well, I can't be, pre- I know I can't be pregnant. I know I'm not Mary. And I'm not pregnant with Jesus, but where's my period? <laughs> yeah. And so the first, and I thought before, if I have to call the doctor, the first thing they'll go is, have you done a pregnancy test? So I thought, well, I'll do one to get it out of the way. But mm. I mean, that would be friggin' funny if it showed up. I'd be like, wow. <laughs> Some SAS sperm that just sat around for years going, <laughs> we'll bide our time. I'll find Bin Laden in that cave. Give me time. Yeah, quite. So when I said to my wife, which I always do, I was checking almost everything with my wife because she's much more intelligent than me. And I said, I'm talking to Rialina this morning. And, and she went, oh, she's a scientist, isn't she? And I went, do you know, I really think I ought to do more research. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless her. She knows who I am. That's really sweet. She does. She knew who you are and about you. Yes. You're big gigging, though, at the moment. You're moving up into that very exciting area. We've got a big tour coming up, haven't you? I have a tour coming up in September. Mm-hmm. Um, Starts in September, a couple of previews in August, and then hit the road in September. So brilliant. 
I need to actually sort of think about that. No, I mean, I've been working on the show, but I need to think about the actual logistics of how am I getting to Kendall and where will I stay once (laughs) in Kendall? Where is Kendall? These are the things that I will be looking at shortly. Yes, good. Well, good luck with it. So you're at the stage where you're doing lovely solo gig tours, but not quite at the stage where you've got a team of people organizing it for you. Precisely. Well, no, I could. I could Mm -hmm. pay people, but then there'd be no money from the tour. Yes. Yeah, no, people assume that if you're doing those things, you're rolling in it. It's a slow slog to become Jimmy Carr if anybody would want to. Yes, yeah, except for Jimmy Carr. It took him, I think, five years. That was his plan. Yeah. His plan from, I think, first gig to full career was something like five years, and he probably made it in three, knowing Jimmy. (laughs) Amazing, isn't he? When they started the 11 o'clock show, Jimmy Carr was the warm-up man. Really? Yeah. He did the TV warm-up for the the audience? TV warm-up for the audience, yeah. Well, do you know what? That is the first TV warm-up come good story that I've heard. Because normally you do TV warm-up, that's it. They see you as TV warm-up. Yeah, you're stuck. Wow. But Jimmy Carr, I mean, you're supposed to warm them up, not insult them, and then say, okay, enjoy the show. (laughs) Maybe it was that sort of show. Well, that's true, the 11 o'clock show. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Lovely. Anyway, Ria, we should talk about the five things you'd like to put into a time capsule. Have you had time to think about it? I have. I have a list. The only thing I haven't decided is which of my two negative things I'm going to put in. Right. That's the one thing I haven't decided is is the very end thing. But yeah. I do have four good ones. Lovely. Okay. Well, let's work through them and see what develops. Okay. That's the exciting thing about it. As with most things in life, <laughs> I come to it with complete ignorance. An empty vessel waiting for me to fill it with <laughs> things to put in a time capsule. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think the first thing on my list mm-hmm. is I want to put into the time capsule the smile your baby gives you when they first wake up and see you. <laughs> because that is, it's a special kind of love and a special kind of smile. And they only do it for maybe a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's the kind of like that toddler age, you know, just from late babyhood into late toddlerhood yeah. when they're sleepy and they know who you are and they do that stretch <laughs> and you just want to eat them up. You just want to eat them up. That smile. It's, it's, um, yes, I had my children very young. Well, who wants old children? Yeah. Well, no, to be fair, I've often I've often advised people, listen, if you aren't sure about having kids, but you still want to feel accomplished, adopt them at 17, pay for them to go to uni, all the benefits, all the benefits with none of the changing of dirty nappies, none of the pooping and the vomiting. Well, maybe the vomiting if you send them to uni, but, you know, I'm I'm saying so there are ways, but I had them when I had them very young. And so I don't think I totally. Well, first of all, I had them very young where I wasn't really into phones or pictures or anything like that. that that's mm-hmm. something that we've only really, I've only just come to with, with Instagram and the necessity to, to feed the algorithm, feed the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hungry algorithm. So I didn't, I wasn't really a photos person. So I don't have many photos or videos of it. I don't think I have that for any of my children right. is, is pictures of them sleeping or waking up or videos like that. And so I, if I could capture that and see that again, mm. that would be truly special because as they grow older, I mean, their need for you changes, doesn't it, over time? Yeah. And as much as you want your children to be happy, healthy, and independent, which I, you know, knock on wood, mine are, there is still something to be said for when they come in for a hug that they've initiated Mm -hmm. versus you going, excuse me, what did I just do for you? You will give me a hug. Thank you very much. You know, (laughs) show your mommy a lover. Um, But there's, you know, when they come in for a hug and when you can experience that moment where they're not vulnerable, but they're open and mm. they're unshielded because as, as anybody grows older, you know, there's that shield as your innocence slowly dims 
and especially teenagers. Teenagers are very shielded, and I'm not surprised given how this world is right now. Yes, I mean, also, they wake up aware of what's coming. Primary school kids, so well-informed, especially Mm. about things like the environment, which is very strong in the curriculum, or at least it was at my kid's primary school, Mm. and power to you know, the head teacher for deciding to highlight that, because I think it is. I think the only way that we're going to see changes in the future is by actively arming the next generation Mm -hmm. with the urgency that this needs to be addressed. Mm. Because as much as we are doing that at our state primary schools (laughs) and, Mm. and saying, hey, by the way, you really, really need to do something about the planet. We're really sorry we screwed it up. We're really, really sorry, but um, you need to do something about it. Yeah, and we're still too greedy to change our own ways. Yes, not totally able to encompass the magnitude of it, Mm. but there's also kids in certain primary schools that are not being taught that. Uh, and I, and I'm not I'm not going to prescribe which ones, but but certainly you know that that as much as we are raising Green Party members, there's also more to- baby Tories being made, um, or people who value other things like the economy over things like this. And mm-hmm. that's the issue right now is that the economy. Everyone's like the economy, the economy, the economy. And I'm like, ex- can someone please explain to me why profit is necessary? Tell me why a company couldn't like earn money, pay off all of its bills. <laughs> Pay all the people who work for it. Pay all the, yeah, pay all the people who work for it, earn all of its bills and not have money on top. Explain that. I just don't get it. Or, or, you know, and then pay tax. Why can't a company make its money, pay its people, pay its tax, and then just <laughs> reinvest it or yeah. not have profit? I, d- I don't, you know, and I know that the listener's scoffing at this and I'm going, no, but genuinely... That's what happened when things were were in the public purse. You know, that's when yeah. we had things that that were not privatized, the rail and the you know the hospitals and and the post. These things didn't run at a profit; they just ran. They just ran. Yes. So why is the economy and and the economy is a little bit like crypto, and this is what's irritating. You know, this is when people are going into crypto, and I never really got into crypto, but no. ev- you know the 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 real world economy was scoffing at crypto going well that's a house of cards and it was crypto's essentially a house of cards it's a whole bunch of people who all put money in and say hey let's all agree to put money in and value this new coin you know let's yeah. and we're going to make these coins and we're going to make up our own money and we're going to value it and it's going to pay for pizza and you go great <laughs> guess what the real economy is exactly the same thing. It's just a whole <laughs> bunch of countries going, okay, we'll put, we'll make our coin and you make your coin and we're going to call ours the pound and you can call yours the euro. You can call yours the franc. Mm-hmm. And we're all going to pretend it has value. That's all it is. It's pretend. And I've never quite understood what makes an initial investment of, say, I give you 10 pounds uh, towards your company when you first start. And mm. you say, okay, we'll give you a tiny bit of the company in the form of shares. Mm. And, okay. And then ad infinitum, you will pay me money because I lent you that 10, or I gave you that 10 pounds. I showed faith in you. And therefore, whatever money you make, you will give me an equivalent percentage. Because While I you own, own that share. While I own that share. Forever. Yeah. Forever. So in fact, I might give you 10 pounds mm. in 1890. And by now, you've given me 40 million. Wow. There are people who've done that. There are people who bought shares initially in Apple who are multi-multi-millionaires. Oh, I bet. Yeah, well, this is it. Again, again, in the news, you, you hear all of this. this we, look at where we got to from a baby's smile. Do you see? Mm, yeah. This is why it's so important to save it. 
because from babies, they're, they're so fleeting. And it's why they smile. They smile because they don't have to worry about those things. They don't. They no. just see. They just see their, you know, their mother and or their father, and and it's just such a pure, joyous smile. Mm. Um, but yes, I mean, this whole thing of the shareholders. But we owe the shareholders. But the shareholders, uh, shareholders, it's become it's a dirty word. I think it's it's dirtier than feminist yeah. as a word. <laughs> just going, who are you people? And like lay off a bit. Just back off. Because that's the other thing is that anything else is like any other investment, you're warned this is a gamble. Mm-hmm. If I put, if I invest in the stock market, you know, or if I buy shares, it's a gamble. The share price could go up, it could go down. Mm-hmm. So where is that understanding when everyone's harping on about how much we owe the shareholders? The shareholders will be angry. We we have to pay the shareholders, the shareholders, the shareholders. I just sort of imagine them all sitting around a long table, like Putin's table, yeah. just yelling at CEOs. <laughs> and like, who? But that's the other thing is that anyone who's invested anything in the stock market, the, technically we're the shareholder. And I've never, ever gone to a board meeting and gone, excuse me. Mm-hmm. But you just lost me a grand uh, and I want it back. I just accept it as part of the gamble. So who's not accepting it as part of the gamble? And what you need to do is go home and wake up your kids and watch them smile at you because you need you need to change your POV. Yeah, right. The fact that you know that our power grid uh, subsidizes France's energy bills. So yeah. the French don't. They did not sell off their power grid. They, they, the French government owns their power grid. Yeah. And what they do is they then bought some of our power grid because we went, <laughs> oh, let's just sell this off for a quick buck because that seems like a good long term idea. So now the French own some of our power grid. And so whenever, when our energy bills went up, the French went, oh, great. We're going to subsidize <laughs> our citizens' energy bills with that. Of course. And I'm going, that's a good idea yeah. as a government. Like, you know, power, you know, you know what? Props where props are due, France. That's great idea. And then you go back to 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 the government and go, "Hey, what do you think? What do you think about that idea?" And they're like, oh, "No, we couldn't possibly." The shareholders, and yeah. you're going, "They're fra-. but it's the French government. There are no shareholders. There are no shareholders." <laughs> they're devious, the French. They twist words around the wrong way. So, électricité française. So, EFL. You suddenly mm. go, "Ah, I see." Now, if you put FE, we would have gone French. What? Oh, electricity. Yeah, no, I know who you are. Yeah. They've hidden themselves by twisting the letters around. I mean, but at least we now know we don't hate the French as much as we claim we do. <laughs> no. You have low energy bills. We'll, we'll be fine because, you know, Brexit, <laughs> you know, we're, we're stoic. There's yes. one thing. I'm wondering if that's all Brexit was. Brexit was just a way of sort of recreating a warlike environment in Britain because that's how the Brit- the Brits really rally well in poor conditions. If there's one thing we do is just rally round, you know, a stiff upper lip, do it for Britain. And that's what we've done. We've recreated that. Or we just wanted crappy conditions in which we can... (laughs) Do you think of yourself as European then? Because you were educated in Holland, weren't you? Yes. uh, Well, both. I mean, it's tricky. I I always say I'm British. I was born in England. Mm -hmm. I mean, my passport is British. and And I think that people look at me and don't go, oh, you're... You're one of us. <laughs> your, your face and your accent clearly homegrown. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of Brits thought of themselves as European, and then Brexit happened, and suddenly it was like, no, no, you can't identify as that anymore. It's going, mm, but I am, but yeah. we are. Mm. I am as well because you know my dad's German. We are. I was always European as well. Yes, I think European is a mindset, and I think you can see that now with with what's happening 
again, gosh, politics, but you can see that with the way that we've just, you know, the, the, the government's like, we've just signed up to the DPDPP, TPP, TP, TPP, TPP, whichever one that is, you know, to the Asian trade agreement. They're like, yes, we've done that. And everyone who was against Brexit went, but we had that with Europe. And they went, yes, but in Europe, we weren't allowed to make decisions. We were ruled by a dictatorship and it wasn't fair. And you go, but in the Asian one, there's no governing body that you can send anyone to, to even remotely have a say. So if they make a change, you have to put up with that change and there's no option for it. Now we have less, we have less choice because all we can do is join the trading agreement, but we cannot control it or make any decisions, which, which at least with the EU, we Mm. were sending MEPs and we could have done our rotate, you know, we could do our rotations on the, on, on the councils and things like that. Yeah. And how they don't see that that's actually not better. <laughs> we've gone from what we claimed the EU was, which is some kind of monster. And we've moved into a place where we are actually in the situation that we claimed to have left, yeah. where we have yeah. no control. If they decide to increase import rates or tariffs or anything, we're just going to have to suck it up or leave the trading block. No, I don't think people do realise that. Well, um, in that case, I'm going to cheer myself up <laughs> by putting the smile of your child when it first wakes up. Yay, that's great. I like that. Right, okay, what's second? All right, the second thing I want to put in is the phone that my parents gave me on my 13th birthday. Oh. It was a complete surprise. I was 13 and I unwrapped this oblong gift and it was it was a phone. Mm. And I remember it was white. It was very simple. It was white and it was one of those that you could wall mount and then... You know, it was just the handset with a long cable and then the cradle. So you could hang it on the wall mm-hmm. like an entry phone type <laughs> thing, but I never did it. And they gave me a long cable because obviously the phone plug was out in the hallway. Yeah. And I was allowed, but I was allowed to have this was my phone in my room. And and just I think my mother's understanding of teenage girls or just just the trust or the freedom that it represented. You know, it's one of those things where you live in a little village and as Mm. soon as you go to secondary school, you then bus to the secondary school. So I didn't have friends around me. Like I couldn't like leave my house and walk to my friends down the road and then hang out in the village because none of them lived. We, none of us lived near each other. And so, and I say this, like I had loads of friends. I was an undiagnosed (laughs) autistic girl. I had about two, but still (laughs) they each had phone numbers and that's all that mattered. And so just giving me that trust and that freedom to go, you can go into your room and have those chats that that teenage girls want to have and Mm -hmm. have that freedom. And I remember spending long, well, not hours and hours, but I remember being on the phone, lying on the floor in my room, on the phone, being able to have that social time. And she, my mother's amazing. She was a computer programmer in her career. She was a computer programmer. And if mm. you think about it, computers, when she started, were massive. They yeah. were massive things. Um, <laughs> and she was like, no, I want to work with the computers. Um, now, you know, and what they would never ever have diagnosed at the time, but is probably the case, is that, well, where did my autism come from? Hmm. Probably from the little tiny Filipino lady that decided that she was going to be a computer programmer. And she was also a physicist. She studied physics. And so she just had an understanding of technology and an understanding of, of how it means to connect to others. Yeah. So I, you know, I grew up with a computer in the house and and I and you know, I was fairly literate on a on a command you know, being able to use just just a command line mm. like DOS, because that's all it was back then. There were no fancy operating systems or anything like this. 
And so it was just a natural part of the technology that we would learn growing up with. Nowadays, you give a two-year-old who's never had an iPad an iPad, and they just instinctively know how to use it. They just mm-hmm. turn it on. They like, I get what this is. Oh, these are all programs. Okay, that one looks fun. Let's play this game. And they just get it. Yeah. I remember, you know, my my youngest grew up with iPads. The older two didn't, but the youngest one did. And to watch him be able to just navigate <laughs> through this bit of technology, find the apps that were meant for him, ignore the apps that were not meant for him. I and mean, it's all very psychological. And so the same thing that my mother, we had that instinctive growth of technology, but to to give me that phone and to say, here, you can go into your room and this can be, I mean, it wasn't a different phone number. It was the house phone number, yeah. but the fact that I was able to shut my door and have those, have that privacy that, you know. And just occasionally they'd say, could you just stop the conversation now through the bedroom door so we can make a phone call? No, no, because no? again, my mother's, my mother didn't, there was no, she didn't need to call anybody. She probably no? had some rudimentary form of email. No, there was email. What am I talking about? Of course there was email. Yeah. There was email. I wasn't, I wasn't born in the 1800s. Yeah, she just, <laughs> she just did her own thing, in, you know, in her office. She just, but it is a very different thing, isn't it? Giving you a landline. Now people give their children mobile phones, one, because they expect it, but also because they want to be in touch with them all the time. They want to have contact with them. So they, if the child is walking home from school, mm. you have a phone, you can call me anytime. So in fact, it's almost a protective thing. Whereas that, giving you your own landline in your room, that's a freedom thing. Yes. Yes. It was a trust and a freedom thing um, because mobile phones were... Uh, around they were around Mm -hmm. uh but it just again like i said i don't think i had one i didn't have my own mobile phone until adulthood yeah because i just wasn't raised with it as as a part of you know it just wasn't our thing probably wasn't affordable i think you know and even now i can go for ages without calling my parents Mm. but my mother being very tech savvy i can you know, I can text her. Hmm. So, you know, so she's, she's adapted very well to me being able to text her. And then like any traditional marriage, if I need to speak to my father, I tell my mother and she tells him, (laughs) but she was always the one, she was the one. Oh my goodness. That woman, if there was competitions in programming a VCR in order to record something, she would have won every time. How did your parents meet? At a corporate softball game. Oh, that old thing. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's just after the staff meeting, but yeah. it's before the quarterly reviews is right. the, the softball <laughs> yes. game. So they were both working in Silicon Valley. And my father's a logistician. My mother was working for a computer company. And they met at the softball game. And she was rep- she was on for her company. And he was for another company. And uh, she drove, at the time, a red convertible Mercedes. And so he went, oh, she's cute and clearly rich. (laughs) And she just went, oh, he's dapper. And he was. My father's so charming. Like you, he's a German man, and you, you know, you know, we all have our stereotypes of German men. But my father is the most smooth-talking, charming, Mm -hmm. dapper gentleman that you're ever just a ladies' man. He's a ladies' man. And such a sense of humor. We will sit. We would. I remember as a kid growing up, we might you know go traveling or we go to a restaurant or something. And if the if the waitress was rather busty and like to, to dress in order to emphasize her assets, what, what we might say, increase the tips. Yes. Well, she she certainly increased her tips. So <laughs> so he would a flirt with her and just be charming and everything else. And then as soon as she would leave, he would turn to us kids and go, "That's your new stepmother." Uh, which my mother would just laugh at. So she obviously was very, I mean, they're very secure. They're still together. They're very secure in themselves, but he would make jokes like that. 
But that's the beauty. Can I just say anyone out there with kids? I know that a lot of people going, I don't want my kid to have a smartphone. I don't, you know, they don't. And I, and I totally appreciate how it is. It is too much. I think it's too much technology for a child. However, you can GPS track where your kid's phone is. Yeah. And that has been proven very useful for me when they go to a friend's house or they've moved location and they haven't quite told me that they're actually at a different friend's house to the friend that they said to be able to check and go, where are you? Why are you at Ben's house? You told me you were at Tom's house. And then they go, oh, sorry, we all moved to Ben's house. We're all here, but anyway, I'm coming home soon. And I find that very um, comforting to be able to, to see that without actually even necessarily needing to interrupt them. Look at us. That's two things that we've gone from the joys and the beauty of of childhood innocence and just turned it into, what is this world coming to? (laughs) We'll have to watch ourselves on the next one. We'll have to try and stay with positive things. It's a very positive one. Great, because we've got the phone in your room and we've got your child smiling at you. These are beautiful things. So what's number three? Okay, it's ad break time, a break that you can remove from this podcast by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details in the blurb alongside this and all other episodes. See you in a minute. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back. I hope you use your time wisely by having a quick look at ACAST+. Plus. Like me, it's surprisingly cheap. Anyway, here are the other things that Rialina would put in her time capsule. Number three is that feeling of sun soaking into your bones, which is a very specific feeling because obviously now, oh gosh, it is double-edged sword, isn't it? Because obviously I'm not recommending that people go out and just lie in hot, sunny climates because that is of health danger. But let's say, let's just say you slathered yourself in in factor 50. Okay. Mm -hmm. You slathered in factor 50, but I live in London. This winter has been long and the spring has been wet and it is scientifically proven that sun is good for you. We need sun. We Mm. need it in order to feel healthy, make vitamin D. It's just so good for you. And this Christmas, I took some of my kids to Spain for a holiday. Oh, brilliant. 
And I've never really, as an adult, been on a holiday. I've traveled a lot in this job. Don't get me wrong. I've seen some amazing places, Mm. but it's always been off the back of working. So I did tours of Asia. I was able to see the Philippines, where my my mother is ethnically from, Mm. through work. But I've never gone on a holiday. (laughs) And this Christmas, I went on a holiday, you know, where you just turn off your phone and you be able to have sun in winter. And it wasn't warm. It was 23, 24, which I know for some people is warm. For me, I'm like, I'm happy at 25, 26, 27. I'm still comfortable. Mm -hmm. But at 23, 24, with no wind, I was still able to lie on the beach. It's such a healing feeling. It really is healing to just feel it soak in and know that this is doing you good and know that you need it. And I did. I felt felt that. The way that when you, it's like, quenching a thirst your skin is quenching its thirst <laughs> yeah for the sun and it's yes. just such a positive feeling remember we're covered in factor 50 so that's not <laughs> an issue and it's not it's not like this isn't about tanning either no. i don't need to tan. i mean well i i come with my own tan uh, <laughs> i don't need to tan but this is just about the health of being seen by the sun and we all do need that to a certain extent it affects your mental health it affects everything. Yeah. Uh, It's why I'd always choose a holiday in a warm place rather than, well, going skiing or something. I would love the idea of skiing, but I don't really like the idea of cold. Yes, I agree with you. I, you know, given the climate that we live in here in Britain, sun every time for me. Uh, I've got a very dear friend who I miss because he couldn't bear the fact that this country just didn't provide you enough opportunity for that lying in the sun and, as he always described it, warming his bones. Mm. And so he moved to Italy and lives in Italy. Now lives in Sicily, where the temperature oh. can get up to sort of in the 40s in the summer. No, oh, mm. that's too hot. Yeah. That's too hot. But no, he'll lie there and go, warming my bones. He loves yes. it. Yes. I think that's the the other problem is that when we go on holiday, we have it so little that you overdo it, don't you? You yeah. sort of go, I must must get out in the sun, must get out in the sun in order to try, you know, store it up, store it up for the next six months of drizzle. Mm. When in fact, if you just lived in a climate like he does, where all you need to do is go to the shops and you've yeah. had your bit of sun and just live <laughs> it every day. In fact, you're looking for shade mostly. Then you understand, oh, that's why these houses are built of thick stone mm. and have smallish windows because it creates this, you know, a cool refuge to to hide from the sun in. Oh, it's a lovely thing, isn't it? It's a lovely thing to have that choice. Yes, choice. (laughs) I think that's the word. Well, I'll let you lie on the beach for a bit and let that sun soak into your skin as it drinks it up. Thank you. So that's three things we've put in. Mm -hmm. So we've got two more. One good and then your choice of which bad one you're going to put Mm, in. I know. Okay. So my fourth one is umami. Umami. It's one of your taste buds. Yeah. So, you know, we're taught in primary school that you have salt, sweet, bitter, and sour Mm -hmm. taste on your tongue. But actually you have a fifth one, which is called umami. Yes. When you cook, you want to try and cover all of the tastes. Yeah. You want, you know, a bit of sweet, bit of salty, not bitter. Bitter is the, is the taste, but that lets us know that something's poisonous. So you don't Mm want to put bitter in, but you sour. And then if you also aim for umami, that's where food lifts up. But I think it's such an important part of life. It's, It's King Lear and salt. It's exactly the same dynamic. It adds a richness to your life that you didn't know you were missing, but that once you've (laughs) had it, you don't want to go back. So there are a great number of English people, for example, that I know of a certain age, that that umami taste was the thing that that they found difficult to deal with because it had never been part of their diet. Bovril probably has a bit of umami in it. Ah, I think that a decent, I think there's umami in a well-made gravy. Right. So 
I think that that's what you're getting out of your roast dinner is that, okay, I think that, um, you know, you add Worcestershire sauce, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have those, you know, if you're adding Worcestershire sauce and alcohols and things to, to your, your stewed meats or then you're going to get some umami. You're going to get that flavor. Right. Right. I know that we all associate it with Asian flavors, but mm-hmm. it's actually, it's it, what it is. It's the same way that you can't say, well, um, the Germans invented sweet. Of course they didn't. <laughs> we we can taste sweet. Uh, so it's, it's not that the Asians invented umami. It's that they recognized that there was an additional taste in our mouths and they played to it in their flavors. Yeah. But we all have the capability of tasting that. But yeah, it can be. I find that there, I certainly, I love going to restaurants. I love trying out new things. Mm. And I remember going to a restaurant of a, of a particular TV chef and being quite excited, just going, oh, all we do is watch them on TV and watch them go, oh, that's amazing. That's so good. This tastes so great. <laughs> and we had the taster menu. Of course, you have to have the tasting menu. And we had a little bit of everything. And I was surprised at how, I don't want to say bland. That's not the right word. But I was surprised at how all of these things I'd seen on TV where they go, oh, we're going to have a crumb. or we're going to have a foam. or we're going to have a, you know, a, a mm. consomme. How much it didn't work together. And I went, oh, it's all for show. It didn't actually, you're expecting it all to come together in your mouth and then create a flavor the same way that, you know, if I said to you, cracker, blue cheese, and a grape, you immediately go, yes, I can see how those three things are going to go together. You're going to have the sweetness of the grape. You're going to have the sharpness of the cheese. You're going to have the texture of the cracker. It works. Mm. Whereas these things, I would look at it and I would have like um, a meat brick. I guess is the best way to explain one of the dishes. It was a meat brick. So, so they pulled the meat apart, yes. but then they'd reconstitute it. Do you know what it was like? It's like, you know how you can get furniture made out of wood or yeah. you can get furniture from Ikea where they've taken wood <laughs> and they've torn it apart and then they press it back together again. That's exactly the same. It was meat MDF. And then there were some <laughs> lima beans and some bits of cheese, uh, you know, and, and the rest of it. And you go, this actually doesn't, work together the textures aren't blending in my mouth if i you know individually it's a lima bean and then together it's a lima bean with goat's cheese and a meat brick (laughs) so i was really surprised at how fancy the cooking was to go oh whereas you and i can go to a sunday lunch at a local pub Mm -hmm. and just go yes that hit the spot yeah and it won't look pretty and it won't have a consomme but it hit the spot well, you're expecting a lot of those places as well. So it is disappointing when they let you down, I think. And the criticism they always have on those cookery shows that those experts use is they say, hmm, could do with a bit more seasoning. Yes. And in fact, that's often what's lacking in those places, yeah. I think. It, it, well, this is it. And I think that that's so my food, I'll be honest, doesn't look pretty, doesn't always look pretty. Mm. But certainly when I'm making sauces and things like that, it's always you always want to hit those four points. Yeah. Sweet, salty, sour and umami. Mm. And then if you do that, it doesn't matter what it looks like. People go, this tastes amazing. But I've, you know, I've, I've you know, so I have a richness in my cooking. It comes from my father. My father has read and done every cookbook under the sun and, you know, done casual cooking courses and everything. He is the gourmet chef. You need to be if you're a ladies' man. Oh, very much so. And yeah. uh, or and or married to my mother, who's an eater. Uh, she's she's Filipino. And if there's one thing Filipinos do, it's they need to be fed multiple times a day. Otherwise, they get really, really grouchy. Uh, it's the metabolism, very high metabolism. And so I learned from him all, all my cooking and, and stuff from him and, you know, and, and learned that, yeah, it isn't 
Oh, have you seen? I, I mean, if you're on TV, it needs to look good. It needs mm-hmm. to look good. But mm-hmm. uh, anyone listening who's like, oh, I like to cook a bit, aim for those four. So I'll always put something in like Maggie. Uh, do you know Maggie sauce? Yes. Yeah. Maggie sauce, I grew up with because my mother put in all of the cooking that she did and all right. of her dishes. I thought it was Asian. Invented by a Swiss guy. Swiss. <laughs> it's Swiss. I mean, blows my mind. But Maggie's a great one for that. Or Bragg's Aminos, if you can find it, which tastes like Maggie. Um, your Worcestershire sauces. Like anything like that that has like just a little bit of that in there. And it just, you don't taste it. It lifts it up. Yeah. I mean, it's almost it's almost naughty. It's almost cheating. But it's exactly <laughs> what the supermarkets do. So if they can do it, why can't we? Because you know that one of the reasons that supermarket foods, they, they showed, they did a, an experiment. It's it's probably better now because we're more health conscious. Mm. But about 10, maybe t- 10 years ago, they were looking at supermarket foods when they were bringing in those traffic lights, the traffic lights that they put on the front of the packaging. You know, this is red for fat or green for good for you, yellow for mm, don't eat too much of it. Yeah. And they realized that things like spaghetti bolognese sauce had really high calories, really high sugar, really high salt. Mm. And they're going, why is this? It shouldn't, it should, when you and I make spaghetti sauce, it doesn't have this much salt or sugar in it, but they put it in there because salt and sugar cancel each other out in your mouth. Right. But your body still goes, oh, that had a lot of sugar. Oh, that was good. Because your brain goes, what a lot of salt. But you can't consciously taste it because they cancel each other out. So they kept just adding a little bit more sugar, a little bit more salt, a little bit more sugar, a little bit more salt. So that it you know, it ended up having tons of both that it didn't need to have. Yes. But the whole idea was to trick you into being addicted to the product. I, I'd not realized, I've not thought about it, actually. I mean, I know what that flavor is. And you're absolutely right that we do have it running right through all food, don't we? All mm. good food. Mm. So if you go, for example, to a French restaurant, and it's a local restaurant, they'll always be the ones that are good. So on the edge of a village, you find this person, basically what they're cooking is things that they've got in their garden. Mm-hmm. The flavours will always be extraordinary. And that's because they know how to put that flavour in. They know what to add. Yes. So, Yes. That's a flavor that we should all be searching for because otherwise, as you say, well, you didn't say, you refused to say that it was bland food, but it is bland. Yes. Well, it just it lifts something up. And I think, again, a little bit like the, the feeling of the sun, there's something to being fed well. Mm. And you can do that to yourself. You can feed yourself well. So go out, buy Maggie sauce, buy Worcestershire sauce. By miso paste. I put miso paste in my Western foods as well because it's not, you're not putting so, you know, I'm not, using it as a miso sauce. I'm using it as a flavor enhancer in a bolognese, for example. All right. Yes, we'd all do that, but you're perfectly safe. That flavor is there in the time yes. capsule. Good so flavor. Finally, you have to choose what you'd want to put in there to, to um, get rid of from your life. Okay. Well, like I, I said, I had two and I wasn't sure. Do you want the intellectual one or do you want the basic one? Well, I'm interested to find out what they are. What bo- okay, I'd be happy I tell to hear you- what they both are. Yes. If I tell you both and then you pick one and we'll talk okay. about it. Okay. Right. So either chilies and truffles, <laughs> and I have my reasons, Yeah. or the Dunning-Kruger effect. Right. Now, you see, I'm instantly fascinated by something that I haven't the faintest idea what it is. So uh, why do you want chili and truffles? I see now I want to know both. <laughs> Okay, so very quickly, we've just been talking about umami and what that does to the mouth and the tongue and the flavors. I am autistic, and I actually have very sensitive skin. Mm-hmm. I have you know, hypersensitive skin, among other things. And so chilies aren't a fl- I'm sorry, people. Chili's not a flavor. It's a pain. 
and it's just a level of pain and it's everywhere. Chili is everywhere. And they're just like, hey, we're going to give you some avocado, but we're for some reason going to cover it in chili flakes. Um, It's everywhere. And it's actually becoming, I think, socially isolating because the number of times I go out and say, I would love to have this dish. Oh no, I'm sorry. The chili already runs through it. Like we've pre-prepped it. The chili is in and we cannot remove the chili from so many dishes. And it's just become this overriding trend to just stick it everywhere. And, And I'm beginning to feel isolated as a human being, almost to the point of going, do I have the right to say, could you please not like, could you have a chili free part of your kitchen? Can we have chili and not? You do it for nuts. You do it for nuts. And gluten. Gluten. And does the same thing apply for truffles feet with you? Well, so truffles smell like feet. <laughs> they they smell like feet. I'm sorry. There's a reason that they're buried in the ground. And if you need a pig to find it, then you know not then maybe we should leave it there do you know what i'm saying there's a lot of stuff that's under the ground for a reason and the fact that we're going around digging it up with a pig if you can find it fine you find it you can have that truffle you can eat that truffle but if you can't find it by yourself no just no it smells like feet and they do they smell like feet and i'm so sorry if i've ruined truffles for you but at the same time good because it's like and everyone's like "Ooh, do you want fries or feet fries who wants feet fries like it's just just and so it's just, it's just, no. So those, those, that's the chili truffle thing. Absolutely. Wonderful. I'm very tempted to put both these in for you. I don't care. So explain <laughs> well, the second one. So the Dunning-Kruger effect mm-hmm. um, is a really interesting effect where they examined people's skill level. So initially they looked at logical reasoning, grammar, social skills, mm-hmm. for example. So they would ask people on a range of abilities, how well do you think you'll do in this test? And the people with the lower ability would always overestimate their ability. Whereas people at the top end of the ability scale would underestimate their ability scale. Mm. Now, to be fair, those with the lower ability would never estimate themselves to be above those with the higher ability. So essentially it was, it was still fairly accurate in a relative term, Mm. but they still thought that they were better than they were at something so that their estimation of what they would score was always higher than their actual score. And then just at the very top of the range that would swap Mm. and the very top of the range, people who are really, really good would underestimate their abilities. And I want to put this, I think this should go um, for a number of reasons. I think that right now, part of what we're suffering from societally is the overinflated sense of self. So I'm sort of using the Dunning-Kruger effect which it is, it is, it is an overinflated sense of self to a certain Mm. extent. I would love to put it away for people to just be more honest with themselves and each other, because I think that this is one of the things that we're seeing now on social media. I mean, social media, interestingly, has undermined the expert. And we saw this in the pandemic where we saw people actively go, I'm not interested in hearing from experts. I'm so tired of these scientists. I'm so tired of the blah, 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 telling me this, telling me that, yeah. you know, solving the world's problems with all of their education. We really, really ended up hating, you know, hating experts. Nowadays in the arts, you know, we used to have renowned reviewers and we mm-hmm. trusted and respected their opinion and they whether they were reviewing theater or restaurants. And I'm not saying I disagree with this. Now it's very much people vote with their feet. So if a restaurant has a thousand five-star reviews from customers, then you go, that must be a good restaurant. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, I think that is wonderful. And it works well in the arts for people to also say, you know what? A hundred people saw this show and they loved it. 
I'm going to go and see what this hundred people are talking about yeah. rather than what this one reviewer who's a bit snooty went, oh, I don't know, you know, the 40 minute pathos moment felt a little bit forced. <laughs> totally get it yeah. in that regard that, you know, in the arts that, that, that giving people um, a say and, and valuing people's opinions is, is valuable. But when it comes to, remember the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, we're talking about logical reasoning, grammar, social skills, they're sort of looking at more academic things, this undermining of, of people's actual work. Mm. in order that your opinion, well, I don't care about all the science on vaccines. My opinion is, yes. <laughs> and you go, it's not, it's not how science works. It's not yes. how it works. Yeah. And I come as a scientist. I do come as a scientist to say, we've got to at some point, like where is the line? I will listen to your opinion on that restaurant. And I will then also judge it based on how you feed yourself the rest of the time. If you only ever eat fish and chips and you hated the Chinese, I'll be like, pinch of salt. Okay, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but generally speaking, people vote with their feet and I appreciate that. But you can't vote with your feet about science. You can't just go, well, you know what? 3,000 of us disagree with the benefits of taking vitamin D or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and then have it be true. And so I was sort of using the Dunning-Kruger effect as a representation of, can we all please be a little bit more honest with ourselves about where we stand? Mm. Uh, you know, because on the flip side, you've got imposter syndrome. And I'm constantly, especially whenever I get hired to do a new job or a new show, there's a huge pressure to do it well. Yeah. And on the outside, everyone's like, Ria, you've been, you know, you've been doing comedy for years now. You know, you, you're closing all the big clubs. You, you're playing every stage. Of course you can do this. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, but I've never had to do it sitting down. We're sitting down. It's like six other people. This is Mock the Week. This is, this is totally different. This is, ah, yeah. what if I don't? Ah, you know, you constantly have that. Um, yeah. Well, rightly so, because that self-criticism ought to be the thing that drives you to be better at it. And I think you're right that we all need to sit back occasionally and say, do you know what, I really think that my opinion here is not really very valid. Perhaps I ought to listen to some other people's opinions. And I think that's great. That's great. Listen to other people's opinions and discussion, but you still have to, you know, this is what they teach in basic GCSE history, is they teach you not just how to listen to the source, but assess the source. Mm. You know, okay, so I've given you a paragraph of somebody who was alive during the war, and this is their experience of it. And then here's a paragraph from someone who's just read up about the war because they're an academic who was born after the war and is studying it. You yeah. know, how do you value those two sources? Well, that's a primary source that was actually there versus somebody who's read a lot more. You know, you, you value it. You know, that's how you decide how to contextualize both of those opinions. Mm. And that's the same thing we need to do with people is, you know, is also evaluate. That said, I'm not saying that therefore, once you've evaluated the person, and what they have to say, that you should then attack the person for who they are, because that's the other thing that's happening now. Yes, quite. Is that people, they're going, instead of discussing the issue at hand, we're going, yeah, but, I, and I've noticed this in a lot of, I don't know what socials you're on, but on a lot of, you know, reels and shorter clips that they're clipping out, there's a few conservatives that are going around and clearly making a living on arguing with large groups of people. As far as I can tell from these clips, it'll be one person like Ben Shapiro, for example, and mm -hmm. he will be in front of a large audience. He's obviously given a talk and now it's the Q&A. And then all the Q&A is, is a bunch of people who disagree with him coming up and going, yeah, but your degree is in X, Y, Z and you're talking about ABC. What gives you the right to talk about ABC? That, that kind of personal attack. You can use their background in order to contextualize what they're saying, yeah. but you can't. You shouldn't go in there and just actually attack who they are. <laughs> no. 
I saw an example of it this morning on Twitter, and I'd nearly jumped in and made a wry comment. Not that wry, probably just abusive. And <laughs> it was somebody was criticising quite a famous writer about their writing. Right. That just within the length of a tweet, they'd made about four grammatical errors and two spelling mistakes. It's tricky with grammar and spelling because mm-hmm. I, especially working in the arts, have a lot of friends who who suffer from severe dyslexia. And having that sort of neurodiverse brain lends itself well to what we do. I mean, in stand-up, yeah. you don't you, you know there isn't a lot of writing things down unless you so choose with your own material. And so it's tricky because I've learned to know when to ignore that. Right. I think there are times where you ignore that and time. it depends what they're saying, of course. And we all make that mistake. I've done that myself. You know, you're writing quickly. You're trying to write as if you were responding verbally. I wrote a tweet in the pandemic that ended up going hugely viral Mm. on a number of platforms and it had a spelling mistake in it. And I've never been so horrified. Yep. I think instead of curtsy, I wrote courtesy. You type (laughs) quickly and you just went, yeah, that's right. Send. And you can't edit a tweet. And from then on, it said courtesy instead of curtsy. <laughs> and things will autocorrect and you don't notice because you know what you meant. So you see what you think you meant. But I agree with you. If there's a load of grammar and spelling mistakes and they're arguing about education and you go, well, yes, by all means, fight for it. Clearly, mm. I see why you're fighting for it or whatever it might be. But it is a difficult one um, because being a grammar Nazi can have you labeled as a pedant. And then that's it. You've been determined to be a pedant and then everything you say will be determined to be pedantic. I know. It is tricky because language is evolving very quickly now in a very interesting way because of texting and text speak. And I still use punctuation in my texts. Mm -hmm. I use punctuation in my subtitles when I'm subtitling videos and it's disappearing. It's slowly disappearing as a means of getting across tone to be replaced with things like nothing. Mm -hmm. because that's just hip and cool or emojis yeah emojis are being used to indicate this is how i meant this but there's so many emojis and i don't get what they mean some of them (laughs) i I don't i can't read normal faces you want me to read little (laughs) yellow round ones how am i supposed like i get the green one that looks like it's gonna vomit i know what that one means i get the smiley face with the big teeth but there's three smiley faces one with big eyes one with slightly smaller eyes (laughs) And one with normal eyes. And I'm going, when do I use the different, what do the eyes mean? Like, what are the different eyes? Like, I don't. It's mad. It is mad. (laughs) Whereas in fact, yes, a well-written sentence will explain itself. What's that in the road ahead? What's that in the road ahead? Yeah. There we are. Each shoots and leaves. Indeed. But I think you're right that the world would be a better place if we were all able to just recognise our own inabilities in certain areas and rely on people who've spent a long time studying it. Or at least give them a chance, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Give them a chance before you, uh, yeah. Oh, I can't even, look at that sentence is gone. I think my brain just switched (laughs) off. Give me just... Give him a chance. But but really, I think my point is with the Dunning-Kruger is, you know, is just I would love for us all to be able to be more honest with ourselves. Mm. And that's hard. And I, I I recognize that's really hard. And I'm also, obviously, I accept that I'm completely disillusioned. That's where that comes from. Well, it's fine. I'm going to put both in there. You get six things. Oh, You've broken that's... the rules. I don't care. Aww. Because it's been so lovely talking to you and how lovely to meet you. 
It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And good luck on the tour. I hope I can get to come and see you. Thank you. It's called Reawakening. Ah, yeah. Um, and all tickets are available on my website at realina.com. I've looked at realina.com. It's a very good website. Oh, thank you. If anybody's listened to the beginning of this, I would have been reading out your biography from your website. Oh, <laughs> oh perfect. There we go. I hope it's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> You've only got yourself to blame. <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Ria Lina. Thanks for listening, especially if you're a regular listener, as this bit is at the end of every episode, and basically I say the same thing every time. I thank my guest, in this case, Ria Lina. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast, rate it, and maybe even review it. I tell you that My Time Capsule and I are both on social media, and we're happy to be contacted on there, that the theme tune by Pass the Peas Music is available on Spotify. I try to persuade you to sign up to Acast Plus to get this podcast without ads. And then I tell you it was a cast-off production for Acast, produced by John Fenton Stevens. I try to vary it in case you're one of the people that has to listen to the end to make sure you didn't miss anything. But I promise you, you can stop now and you won't miss a thing. Bye. Are they gone? Great, let's talk about them like we always do. Especially that bloke who always listens to this while he's sitting on the loo. Does he imagine we can't see him? He really needs to change his diet. Or Elvis, as we've nicknamed him. Of course, you'd know that because we talk about him every week. Elvis isn't long for this world. Elvis has left the building. Anyway, I know I gave you my account details last episode, but rather stupidly, I forgot to give you my PIN number, which is 3976. It's easy to remember, the 3rd of September, 1976, the date I started going to university. You'll remember that day, of course. It works for all my accounts, but you might want to raid the offshore account first, which is where I keep all the bribery money from the guests who have told me things I can use against them, that they then realise afterwards they want to keep secret. (laughs) Of course, if they don't pay up, you'll be the first, well, the second to know everything. (laughs) Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.